Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. And we are going to talk about some heavy issues this week, Con. The uh, world's a heavy place. Oh my gosh, police brutality and the reaction to it. we got the president, uh, some say, trying to shut down Twitter. He kind of handed that issue uh, to his, his critics uh, during the course of uh, this week's dealings with the whole Twitter situation. Uh, we're going to talk about the COVID-idiot in Central Park. And much more. And uh, Bunker Diaries at the very end of the show, uh, kind of a bonus. So please uh, stick around till uh, the end of the episode. Uh, we'll give you the, the Bunker Diaries feature hitting the highlights of the week. So let's talk about the police brutality situation, Con. I mean, I don't, I don't see anybody defending that officer who essentially committed a homicide. I guess there's a debate as to whether it's going to be murder or manslaughter. I think they've charged him with both. Yes, they have, which they can do. Uh, they can charge uh, with lesser included offenses. It's called in criminal law a lesser included offense uh, to murder would be manslaughter. You can charge for both and then uh, prove your case up as to either. So he's got his, his knee or his foot on the man's neck for what, something like seven or eight minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, people are recording it. He had to know that it was being recorded. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently there was maybe some history between the two of them. They'd both, they'd known each other from maybe security guard work, off-duty kind of stuff. So who knows if there was a history. But I mean, for from all accounts and based on the observations of everybody, uh, this was just uh, absolutely criminal in nature as to the exact form of the criminality. Uh, it's hard to tell. I mean, have you run across anybody perusing the internet, defending, saying, oh, well, you know, the, no, just I remember mean, Rodney King, you never knew when he was going to turn it into some sort of a PC, uh, P uh, uh, crazed uh, maniac. No, basically uh, nobody is, is taking that side of things because I think they know it's indefensible. The debate about his actions is not really about whether his actions in particular were morally okay or legally okay because I don't think anyone thinks they are. The debate is about... Whether police training, well, one of the many debates we're having at the moment simultaneously, is about whether police training, the training that people, cops get to become officers and the, the culture of, of policing, uh, leads directly into these sorts of incidents, leads directly in, into these sort, this sort of behavior. If you're trained to be, if you're trained that the public is the enemy and that the people that you're interacting with are potential combatants, and you're trained as though you live in a war zone every day, you're going to end up hurting and killing people. And I think the culture of police and the training of police is what leads directly into somebody ending up with a knee on their neck for nine minutes or seven minutes. When you talk about uh, when you talk about people having an attitude of, of folks being the enemy, it was really poignant to see uh, on the news today. Today is Monday, June one when we're taping this, it was poignant to see uh, in, across the country examples of police and protesters actually <clears throat> hugging, uh, communicating, no rancor. Uh, Portland, Oregon, Humboldt County, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Schenectady, New York. These, to me, were amazing images of literally uh, hugs between the cops and people 
on the front lines of, of the protests. So maybe that's a, a small sign that there is, is progress afoot. Now, you're focusing on something that I don't think a lot of people have been talking about. I mean, everything is so fresh and kind of dangerous and, mm-hmm. and scary with, with the, all the curfews and so on. You're talking about uh, changing uh, training regimens. Yeah, I guess you're talking about attitudes. I've heard people say that folks who go into police work, you know, regardless of what their attitude is, after three or six or nine years on the force, basically constant danger, constant animosity between themselves and and people who are are criminals or are perceived as criminals. It's kind of hard to uh, to to come away from that without uh, an attitude of aggression by the police. Uh, so I don't know. Um, what's the solution? Do we, we just go back to the manuals and rewrite the, the police? Uh, I think you do. Manuals? I think you have to burn the the culture uh, of of warrior culture out uh, and burn it all to the ground and start over. And yeah, that means burning the the, the training manuals uh, at the at the stake and saying that these are these are the problem and that police culture and police training together. Are the are the reason that this happens? Because I mean, there's a there's a lot of people out there who will point and say, well, forty uh, percent of uh, police officer households. Don't quote me on this number. I'm not sitting here with a study in front of me, but this is what people talk about on the internet right now. Forty percent of police households experience domestic violence versus some sub ten percent that the normal population experiences. That the job of being a police officer attracts a violent, aggressive, bad, morally bad person. I don't buy that. Yes, there probably are lots of pe- cops who are bad people. Yes, the fact the, the 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 fact that like okay, all the dumbest people you met in high school now have guns and can shoot you with them, and they're all cops now. Yeah, these all feel like they're, they're scary. They're they're bad, you know, emotion emotional evocative things that people are out there saying. I don't think that's true, and it's difficult to sort of paint the individual people themselves as bad people when instead you can understand like that it's the system that they're put in that turns them into this this person like you can't you can't you can't look at uh you know soldiers uh, in a war zone and say look they are bad people they were trained to do that you put these people through basic you put them through boot camp you put them through everything else to dehumanize the enemy i was going to say dehumanization is the process to pull the trigger and actually kill people and the same exact thing happens with cops on a in a different way but the outcome is the same they have to be able to pull the trigger and shoot people and we've seen and we have to have people with the courage to go out there every night and you know it's it's a cliche of course but it's a it, it, there's so much truth in it. Families uh, of cops, they say goodbye in the morning, and they never know if they're going to see them that night. I, uh, clearly, coal miners and everybody else is yeah. certain have certain risks. But what about this? What about better oversight of cops? I read that this guy who killed uh, Mr. Floyd had a, over a dozen complaints 19, against him. Yeah, no, it was a nineteen. Okay, yeah. so why is a guy like that allowed to be out there? I mean, yeah. shouldn't teachers with a bunch of complaints be taken? off the job shouldn't cops with that many complaints be taken off the job you know put in the rubber room the equivalent of of where they put bad teachers uh, until you figure out whether the guy is redeemable so the common the common discussion point that comes it comes back to is police unions and teachers unions is a great example and people point at these and say well they're both called union and therefore they are equivalent police unions are in my opinion fundamentally different than 
teachers unions or any other kind of labor unions because yes teachers unions job in an adversarial system with you know school administrations uh, is to advocate for teacher protections it's to say hey i want my teachers to have higher salaries i want them to you know be able to work fewer outside hours or, right. or fewer unpaid hours. I want them to be supported with resources, and I want them to be protected from arbitrary firing or you know, close to arbitrary firing. And police unions seem to fill the same role at first blush. In reality, the role of a cop versus the role of a teacher is so different in our society. Cops' role is generally to protect private property. They are, they are capital protection. They are, their job there is to prevent individual people by the use of force from harming and transporting capital from one person to another. Well, why theft. would you say it's predominantly protecting property as opposed to protecting lives? Because it, it is. The most, you know... Well, just because the, statistically most crimes involve property as opposed to lives? Yes, and because... Well, okay, but I mean, both jobs are really important and, and they're doing both jobs, it's right? Not, that's not the only reason. It's Police are called out to protect property at a protest against brutality against people's lives. It's 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 pretty obvious on its face that these cops are brought out here to enforce the status quo and protect that target from being looted at the expense of people being able to have their voice heard about the threats to people's lives. Now, I understand. I understand that you, nobody wants a target to be looted. It doesn't solve anything to loot a target. And we're not I'm not here saying that looting is an inherently good thing. But, That's a relief. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk about the, the, the violence and so on. You've got yeah. uh, police brutality. Uh, virtually everybody agrees that's what happened. You've got frustration on the part of people uh, throughout society at the fact we still have police brutality, we still have racism. There is, of course, the fact there is undeniable enormous progress from 1776 to now. We got rid of slavery. We got rid of Jim Crow. We got rid of segregation by law, we got rid of much of the discrimination that has occurred. That's undeniable. What's also undeniable is that you still have many problems growing out of this to varying degrees, including police brutality, yeah. and therefore you have a justification for peaceful protests. Sure. I actually it disagree is, that with some of the undeniables there. For example, with segregation, we have more segregated schools. Well, I'm talking du jour versus right. de facto. This is de facto segregation. We have more segregated schools now than we did when schools were forcefully desegregated by the National Guard. Okay, but there's great progress getting rid of the actual laws. You know, these horrible pictures you see of, you know, uh, water fountains for white and, and for coloreds. But if we have a system whose outcome is... Uh, an incredibly high percentage of African-American men incarcerated and the highest incarceration rate of any, certainly of any Western developed country in the world, uh, we live in a prison state. I don't see that as progress. I don't think we should pat ourselves on the back and say, well, look how much progress we made since we decided to well, you know, not make you, you, you slaves You can always anymore. point to problems, but the fact is, I think most people would agree we've made pretty amazing progress over the last two or 300 years. But I mean, that's that's a debate for, for a separate day, I think. Where I was headed is, you have the peaceful protests, and now you've got this phenomenon. I mean, we've been watching the television with all these scary images uh, of, of fires and, and people being attacked, store yeah. owners trying to protect their stores, being attacked with, with clubs and so on. 
people who have bad stuff on their mind apparently are really tuned in and they find out when the peaceful protests and where they are going to be and they show up and they start to loot. Now, here are a couple of questions and it shouldn't be a pragmatic standpoint, but from a practical standpoint, violence looting causes a backlash by the majority of the voters. I think we've seen that from the 60s on and it obviously hurts minority neighborhoods because the looting is generally in those areas. So given all that, you know, what's, how do you deal with it? How do you somehow, without diminishing the legitimacy of the peaceful protests, how do you deal with the violence that I think everybody agrees has to be suppressed? I think that they're separate conversations. I think that when we discuss the, the possibility that peaceful protest will be co-opted by violent uh, interlopers who uh, instigate uh, a riot out of a peaceful protest. Peaceful protests can be very disruptive. They don't involve smashing and grabbing at a target, but they're basically separate issues. Those two things are happening. Yeah, arguably, if they aren't disruptive, then maybe they aren't going to have the desired exactly. effect. Exactly, yeah. And are these things happening in parallel? Are they happening at the same time in the same place? Yes. Is there an indication that it is the same people who are doing it. No, we don't have that information. We can't say that it is the people no, who are I don't protesting. Think I, I don't think anybody's arguing that. I, I think, the, I think so, the people who are going into Kmart and yeah. scooping up all of these uh, goods, right. they don't have politics on their brain. They're yeah. not thinking about police brutality. These are bad guys who simply want something for nothing, and they are exploiting the situation. But when the conversation which we control. We decide what the topic of conversation is. The news media decides what the topic of conversation is. When that changes from there are a million people out in the streets across the country tonight shouting about how the status quo with police brutality and the justice system is inadequate and needs to change dramatically. And when the topic of conversation is not about that and instead, or you know, even 50-50, is about the fact that some bad dude smashed a Starbucks and grabbed a latte. You're right. That's a bad thing. Who but, cares? But my point is that the looting has actually hurt the cause mm. against police yeah. brutality because it has changed the... We're no longer talking about the fact that this black man was killed because of this monster with yeah. his knee on his neck yeah. for eight minutes while he was saying, I can't I actually breathe. Would disagree We're talking about the looters I, instead because everybody is looking at the images and they're worried about the curfews. Uh, they're wondering, you know, uh, you know, am I going to be next? Is my store that is almost destroyed by, by the pandemic yeah. going to be totally destroyed? But I agree with you. That, that people are changing the topic of conversation, but I would blame the people who are changing the topic of conversation well, and saying- hard not to. Right, but no, I'm, I'm blaming the people who are observers, who are not the ones out looting, the people on, on TV and the people like us who are sitting back and observing the world and deciding what's going on in the world today. And they're saying, oh, people are out looting today. No, people are not out looting today. People are out protesting today. And yeah, there's looting happening. And yeah, you know what? Some murders happened today and some burglaries happened today and everything else. And yes, bad actors are going to take the cover of a huge crowd of yeah. people well, who are disrupting society to take advantage of that. But that's not what's happening. I hear you. But if you're it, personally it, threatened, it's kind of hard not to change the topic. Right. It, the question is, is it an inevitable outcome of a disruptive, peaceful protest that there will be looting, that there will be violence of some kind, that some cop cars will get burned or whatever else? Oh, the answer is no. Most peaceful protests don't result in looting. 
So, I disagree. I think that if well, you get we'll check the internet. If you get a that. large enough a large enough pile of people out there in public in the streets shouting and screaming and and trying to change the world. Uh, when Martin Luther be, King gave his uh, "I Have a Dream" speech at the Washington uh, Monument. There wasn't any looting. That's there true. was just, you know, fortunately, TV to record uh, a wonderful historic moment. This is Too Many Lawyers, uh, and uh, I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. We're uh, going to first break here, but before we do, real quick, I just want to remind you, if you like the uh, podcast, like uh, it on iTunes uh, or on whatever podcast platform um, you use. Subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use, and uh, you know, download those uh, download those episodes. Um, there it helps our, our numbers out. We really, really appreciate it. When we come back, we're going to talk about President Trump's feud with Twitter. Stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. We're back with Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So Twitter and the president uh, are in a feud. Isn't it ironic that Twitter that kind of created Donald Trump. I mean, yeah. his his best pals, the people yeah. who support him the most, say "Ixnay" on the tweets, and Mr. President, it's just not helping. And and his answer is always the same: "You you don't get it. It's helping me. It's what put me here. I'm not going to give up." What? And he's right. So I, I, maybe he's right. But the fact uh, that the feud has exploded into this. Uh, this sort of constitutional uh, uh, issue uh, is is pretty fascinating. So, uh, Twitter is fact checking Trump. He responds this week with an executive order aimed at a uh, federal law that says, uh, "Look, a platform like Facebook and and Twitter, they are not a content provider, so they are immune from suits for de- from defamation for defamation and so on." And when you think about it, I mean, what a no brainer! Congress passed this back in 1996. This uh, this law, and how could you not protect the the purveyors of the internet from a jillion defamation lawsuits, or it could just never take off? Well, actually, there are other countries in the world, European countries specifically, um, where the laws are different, and where Twitter, as a result, takes an active role in uh, policing, uh, for example, Nazis and Nazism on their platform. The role that Congress has decided uh, that Twitter is allowed to take is basically a totally passive aggregator of facts and perspectives and say that you don't have to police the content on your platform at all. But as we as we know, there are there's a whole spectrum of service providers of all kinds that where, where you provide services um, uh, to host content in whatever way, digital or any other way. If you have a, a bookstore and you sell books in your bookstore, uh, that advocate, you know, you know, terrible, terrible things. Uh, like, you know, if you sold child pornography in your bookstore, we would say we 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 rely on bookstores to to make sure that they're not selling horrible, illegal stuff in their books. And similarly, we rely on Facebook and Twitter to stop stuff that's obscene, right? Right. Stop su- stuff that's obvious hate crime, right? I, I don't. I mean, if you got, if you're some maniac Nazi and he puts his manifesto up. Uh, the Twitter and the Facebook post, folks take it down, right? They they don't do a very good job of it. But in countries, in Europe especially, where the laws say they are subject to suit for their publishing of content that is, you know, bad, uh, then they take it down much better. But I thought much, in America they take it down as well, not necessarily because they will be sued, but because they think it's bad. Uh, for example, obscenity. Let's, let's leave the hate speech and so on that, out of it. If you put something that is you know, 
blatantly obscene, right? Uh, Twitter won't allow it, right? Because Twitter wants its users, of course, to feel like there's a place. Uh, they are a place where there's not this horrible obscenity that they would accidentally stumble upon. But the policing of objectionable content and, for example, Nazis on the platform is very different in Germany than it is in the U.S. In Germany, they come down on it. And Twitter polices themselves because they're legally required to. Right, Whereas so, Zuckerberg comes out and testifies in front of Congress this last year in 2019 and says, you can't expect us to police ourselves. It's just impossible. And everybody's saying... It's not impossible. You do it in other places where you're legally required to do so. You don't do it here when you should. We won't agree. Get Nazis off Twitter, but they're still there. So now let's talk about what's really in the news, namely Trump's unhappiness with the right. his perception that Twitter is biased against him mm-hmm. and that under the uh, charade of fact-checking, they're actually just criticizing him. And so what he's saying is, doggone it, this congressional law in the 90s that said web providers like Twitter and Facebook are immune from lawsuits uh, because you, know, you should be able to sue the speaker for defamation, but not the the newspaper that publishes his defamatory statement or the platform that, that allows it to be read. Right. He's saying, if you're not going to be fair to me, you are not entitled to your immunity. I don't get that. I don't understand why one has anything to do with the other. Why would the fact that Twitter is, let's assume they are biased against him and they say they're fact-checking, but really they just hate Trump and at every opportunity they slam him. Why would that, even if that's true, why wouldn't that just mean, okay, people should know, the president can say these guys are uh, unfair, here are all the examples, and let the market system work and let people stop going to Twitter because they're so biased, why would it justify shutting down their immunity per the 1996 congressional law? That's a good question. I mean, you can you can look at this and say that, I mean, frankly, I think Trump is just throwing dirt, you know, dust up in the air and trying to change this topic of conversation away from uh, the country is falling apart underneath him and he's doing a terrible job on pandemic stuff and civil rights stuff. And he's trying to change the conversation back to conservatives are being censored online, her, when that's not what's happening. But you're right. I don't think he has a legitimate argument uh, that fact checking um, is directly connected, one to one connection to this uh, to this law. But it is a tenuous connection. We, we can see that there is a connection between uh, Twitter saying we are going to uh, take a stand on the factual content of our platform. And because like facts and fact checking is an important part of you know policing bad information. If a, if a if a Nazi goes on Twitter and they start spewing what they say are facts uh, about you know whatever as they would like to call it race realism, which is racism, mm-hmm. it, then if Twitter takes a role in in either t- tagging a little thing underneath it that says this you know is a contested fact and you shouldn't believe everything you read on the internet, or if they just ban him off the platform, or whatever approach they take to somebody who's spewing falsehoods uh, and hatred on their platform, uh, that's all kind of the same thing. It's all the same thing that you're 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 you know you're attempting to control the content of the platform in one way or another, and that is. You know, connected in, in a pretty direct way to your responsibility for controlling the content on your platform. So let's drill down and talk about the fact-checking function that Twitter claims that it, it's important that it utilize. To me, I think it's just editorializing by by Twitter. I think that they don't like the president and they, they want to criticize him and they may well be justified in, in criticizing him in, in discrete areas. 
But I think there's a difference between a fact checker and just giving your opinion. When you read the LA Times editorial page, that's their opinion. They're not f checking facts. When you go to a fact checker, I think you want somebody who's objective, who's down the middle, somebody whose job it is to doggone it, figure out if a liberal Democrat or a conservative Republican is lying or exaggerating or just screwing up, and they are going to, it's like the Snopes business. Now, I don't know that Snopes is objective. A lot of people think they're not. But mm -hmm. the idea of Snopes is you want to know if something is just an urban legend or if somebody's lying, doggone it, I'm going to go to Snopes.com. So I think it's kind of dishonest for Twitter to portray itself as a fact checker because that implies neutrality. And when they hire as the head fact checker for Twitter, a guy who in recent weeks had tweeted that Trump's people are Nazis and Mitch McConnell is a bag of farts, I, I don't trust that guy to be an objective fact checker. I, I would much rather have somebody that somehow, some way, in our contentious, polarized time, time we live in, has achieved a level of objectivity that I could trust him or her to be a fact checker. I think uh, having not tweeted that Mitch McConnell is a bag of farts is proof that you are uh, not aware of what's going on in the world. I think that that's a required prerequisite. You just lost the job as fact checker to, at Twitter. Con. To understand politics in America. So if you don't get it, if you don't think Mitch is uh, a, a, a windbag, uh, then how can I trust you to actually understand what the fact is and what a Windbag and bag of farts. I, I'm uncomfortable I'm to, with the language. I think if we were up, on Twitter, okay. they would uh, censor probably, us. they probably censor us, yeah, yeah. exactly, because they're all into censorship over there at Twitter. So Trump, I think, is ignoring the reality. Um, you know, web companies uh, aren't the government. They are private companies. They can be biased all they want. The First Amendment protects them. We just have to put up with it. He should fire back, fire up his base. But to take governmental action, I mean, for example, just not to go too inside baseball here, but a congressional law may not be changed by the president. He's in, as AOC says, a different chamber of government. Look, I get what you're saying, and I get how oh, you're good. saying government action is— that was my purpose that yeah. you would get what I'm saying? Yeah. The goal isn't government feel, action, but all over. we're talking about a congressional law that immu immunized private companies from litigation that they would otherwise have been subject to. Right. That's and government. And Trump can't change Yeah, that. but that's government action. That's the government action we'd be discussing. So if you're talking about how like government action isn't the, isn't the solution, we'll go back to the 90s and talk to them about whether they should have passed this law at all. No, I'm talking about how the executive branch has the right to implement and sure. interpret to a degree of congressional law, but they may not change it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, what Trump would like is Trump would like Congress to roll that 90s law back and say, darn it, Twitter, you know, you... Uh, you're not immune uh, from prosecution at all, and I'm going to sick my Bill Barr Justice Department on you and, and ruin your life. And frankly, uh, he has, in a way, got a point, right? I Not to say that Trump has a point, but we're talking about – what we're talking about, what we're talking about is – whether governmental action is a good idea, but government right. already took that action. Government stepped in and said, these platforms are immune from prosecution. They did something that other countries have not done, and they said that you can't you know, attack the platform via litigation for something that they publish. And Trump, as, as, as loath as I am to ever say it, uh, <laughs> ha may have highlighted uh, a problem uh, that the left will also will agree with him on this, which is having platforms be immune from prosecution uh, or or civil uh, uh, liability is a dangerous thing and that other countries have done it more successfully uh, another way. I mean, wh what happened to our democracy 
as Twitter is, would love to say, Mark Zuckerberg ranked a, you know, created a, a website to rank the attractiveness of his classmates in college, and he destroyed democracy. Having these platforms that are immune, they're bulletproof uh, to, to to lawsuit is a dangerous thing. And these social media platforms, everyone would probably agree that they have had positive impacts on some aspects you know you can you can reach out and you can maybe maybe people know more about george floyd and what happened to him because of social media but social media has also corroded our ability to have political discussions in this country so it's really dangerous and we should be thinking about what governmental action is required to regulate uh these content providers which want to be neutral platforms and what government uh, and what you know wh- whether the, the litigation process can actually keep them in line if you don't give them complete immunity So uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about whether Trump's comment, quote, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, end quote, uh, is glorifying violence and should have been flagged by Twitter. Stick with us. This is Too Many Lawyers. We're back with Too Many Lawyers. So one of the things that got the whole Twitter-Trump feud going is that several days ago, Trump tweeted... uh, he said, when the looting starts, the shooting starts. So I think what he meant by that was that the cops are going to start shooting at looters. And uh, Twitter said, you know what? Uh, this violates our rules about glorifying violence. Right. And so they flagged it. And so what do you think? Were they justified in, in saying, you know, this is kind of goes beyond a fact check. Uh, this glorifies violence. Yeah, it's and horrifying. So we want to warn the public that the president has said something irresponsible. It's it, it the fact that the president is saying this is horrifying. the The phrase "when the looting shar- starts, the shooting starts" is uh, is not a new phrase. It dates back to the civil rights era, and as uh, as has been reported by NPR specifically, uh, the the people throughout history uh, who have allegedly used that phrase, uh, potentially George Wallace, although it, there's no there's no camera you know video of him saying it, but there's a 1967 um, confirmation of a of the Miami police chief Walter Headley used the same phrase when the looting starts starts the shooting starts um, during hearings about crime uh, in Miami. So. That drew a, a backlash by civil rights leaders at the time in 1967, and it's drawing the same backlash now because you're 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 talking about throwing the protesters out with the bathwater, right? That is the difficulty and the implication of this sort of a phrase. It's that, <clears throat> well, if looting is happening, then cops are going to start firing their guns. I mean, come on. Is there a more chilling uh, effect on the expression of people's free speech and ability to go out there and protest and say, look, George Floyd was murdered and police brutality is a is a real and corrosive effect in our society? Is there a more corrosive effect on their ability to have that conversation and be out in the public square expressing themselves in the First Amendment with the First Amendment than the president of the United States saying, well, if people are out there looting, then we're going to start shooting. I mean, I can't be out in the streets if the cops are going to be shooting people. Obviously, I have to go home. That is the effect of this. this that is what Trump wanted to do when he, he tweeted this out. He wanted to say, look, get out of the public square. Stop flexing your free speech rights. And from his perspective, is afraid. it mission accomplished that all of the kerfuffle about this, all the talk, or oh, they flagged it? Uh, I mean, does that kind of play into Trump's I mean, strategy? in a way, but I, I think that we can't live our lives saying that 
everything that we do, every reaction we have to Trump plays into his hands. Trump is good at being the villain in the public eye. Yes. But you do have to make sure that the villain is the villain in the public eye. You can't you can't be nice to him. You can't accept the things he does. You can't take uh, let them happen without protest or objection just because he's good at counterspinning. Like, what are you going to do? That's that's why he's evil is he's good at counterspinning. What do you want me to say? Speaking of, of the villain in the public yeah. eye, now we turn to the Central Park lady. Oh, yeah. Everybody's seen the video. Yes. She is politely asked by a man to leash her dog. She's in the part of Central Park where you have to leash your dog. To protect birds. And she, the man is a big bird, avid birder. He, he's an African-American birder. She freaks out. She panics like she was Brad Pitt without the acid and a pit bull in the final scenes of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Sorry about the spoiler alert, but I'm obsessed with the movie. It's a good one. All the while, because she couldn't give this birder the satisfaction of leashing whiskers, right. mm-hmm. she hoists up her dog like he, she was a Duncan yo-yo. So I chalk this up to covidiacy. Uh, we'll assume that uh, there, there's the stress of the whole situation. No, we can't. Some people say it's blatant racism, and it may well have been. I think there's a 100% chance she's an, a covid There is a high chance she's a racist. She was fired by her job, and they took her dog away. Mm-hmm. And so I guess one question is, was that an overreaction, or is that dog on it uh, frontier justice? Look, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a, a, a dog safety expert. Maybe she was uh, mistreating this dog. Maybe she wasn't. If she was mistreating the dog, and that's that in the video, it shows that she was mistreating the dog. And some dog expert looked at it and said, "You can't do that to a dog." And it definitely shows that she's she did raise him up, uh, uh, yeah. held him aloft yeah. by his collar, causing him to yelp and struggle for I want to say 30, 35 seconds or so sure. before she. She finally decided, all right, I'm going to crouch down. I'm going to kneel down so the whiskers will be on the ground while I'm on the phone call to 911 telling them about this African-American birder who's a... uh, Frightening. Chalking this up to covidiacy, I think, is, is is, is the real danger here. This is not covidiacy. This is a woman so it's pure flexing, racism. Her, it's pure yes, racism. flexing her privilege and power as a, a white woman and saying, the cops are going to believe me, not you. I... I mean, by by saying to a black man, I'm going to call in a fake threat to 911, you're effectively pointing a gun at their head and saying, I'm going to pull the trigger. It's the same thing. Right. If if that wasn't true, if it wasn't true that the cops might well just show up and kill this guy for no gosh darn reason, then her threat would be empty and no one would care. And everyone would say, what is this crazy lady ranting about? We all know that she has that power, that that white people have the power to weaponize the police against black people. And people have to live with that reality. They have to live on edge knowing that some Karen could weaponize the cops against them and ruin their life or kill them. And that is, that is, I mean, that is why this was thrown into such sharper belief is that it's so incredible and insane to hear and see someone embrace that power that they have and flex it against somebody else and say, look, I'm more powerful than you. Your, your social caste, your position in society does not allow you to talk to me this way, to say to me that I have to follow the rules because I do not have to follow the rules because I'm white in America and you have to follow the rules. So you back off, you go away. You don't tell me that I can't have my dog off the leash or I'll kill you. And that is the most incredible, insane, sociopathic thing we've seen on camera. Oh, wait. Well, oh, what about we just saw George Floyd? That's yeah. that's where I was going to go. How cool. Back to back. How cool that it was on camera. Yeah, thank goodness. Yeah. 
Well, folks, I promised at the start of the episode uh, we're going to have an episode of Bunker Diaries. So thanks for uh, sticking around and listening to that. The highlights of the week. Uh, We'll be right back. I'm Royal Oaks, and this is the Bunker Diaries. The newest microaggression, mistress. Seriously, we should no longer use the word mistress to describe a gal who keeps company with a married guy? The delicate Associated Press says no, it's sexist and archaic. Why, it's not gender neutral. It implies the babe is to blame. Just occurred to me, AP wouldn't like gal or babe, would they? AP needs to lighten up. Why should it be gender neutral? If the roles are reversed, you can call the guy a kept man. AP wants us to use friend or companion. That'll go over great with the wife who's steamed over the fissure in her marriage. She might use a stronger word than fissure. SCOTUS on TV. Depending on whose political ox is being gored, you can count on much anger over implementation of the never let a good crisis go to waste axiom. The latest fight is an unusual one. Grizzled Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican of Iowa, he of Kavanaugh hearing fame, wants Supreme Court oral arguments televised live from now on. Advocates took part in hearings last month from their rumpus rooms in their Under Armour gear, and one will never live down flushing his toilet while he thought he was on mute. Grassley has a point. No jury or witnesses to be intimidated. Are the lawyers really going to play to the camera? Give me a break. Lights, camera, SCOTUS action. There's no screaming in theme parks. We recently reported that loud talkers are COVID villains. When you bellow, the droplets linger for 14 minutes. So maybe it shouldn't come as a shock that theme parks in Japan will open, but with a strict rule. No screaming on roller coasters. Not sure how this will be enforced. Perhaps the snitch in the car behind you will tell on you. So to clarify, it's okay to squeal, but not scream. I'm Royal Oaks with the Bunker Diaries. Another episode of Bunker Diaries within Too Many Lawyers. It's been, uh, I think, uh, an emotional but uh, but effective uh, and thoughtful episode, Connor. Uh, congratulations on that. Thanks. I mean, we had to ra- r- wrestle um, more Western uh, cowboys now. Um, <laughs> Uh, we had to wrestle with some big, uh, big tough issues. We're going to have to wrestle with them uh, moving forward. There's no easy answer to how do you uh, safely protest uh, if you can't control who might show up next to you and uh, cause harm or, uh, or or property damage. But, you know, some messages are important enough, in my opinion. So stay safe squared, and we'll see you next time on Too Many Lawyers. So long. Well.